0: Welcome back to Crime with Holly. I'm your host, Crime-a-Holly, and today is Friday, which means another murder case for you guys. Today's case is a solved case, however, it did go unsolved for quite some time, and it hasn't even been two years since the murder trial took place, which of course we will get into all of those nitty-gritty details. This is a case that I really haven't seen very many people talk about, which is really surprising to me because it involves the murder of an NBA player. So without further ado, let's get into the details of the murder of Lorenzen Wright. Lorenzen Wright was born in Oxford, Mississippi on November 4th, 1975, and he was a star basketball player at his high school in Oxford for three years before his family moved to Memphis, Tennessee, and he picked up with basketball again. And he played his senior year of high school at Booker T. Washington High School. Now, usually most teenagers moving in the middle of high school would hate the change, but Lorenzen embraced it. He loved everything about living in Memphis and all that the surrounding area had to offer. He made friends quickly, he enjoyed the lifestyle there, and basketball life was going amazing. He had coaches that were helping him hone in on his skills, and he became friends with one of their daughters who was five years older than he was. When Lorenzen graduated high school and went off to college, their relationship blossomed into more than just a friendship. While in college, Lorenzen played basketball for the University of Memphis. During his sophomore year, Lorenzen was voted to join an All-American basketball team, and this was a huge honor. You have to be selected and voted into this team, and pretty much this means you have to be the best of the best to even be considered for a position. Being that Lorenzen was 6'11", he was an incredible basketball player, but beyond his height, he had amazing skills. I watched several clips of him playing basketball, and if I'm being honest, I'm not a huge basketball fan, but I couldn't help but admire his talent. The man was hitting three-pointers like it was nothing, and his height helped him do some pretty killer slam dunks. Overall, I was really drawn to watching him play, and this was a pretty common thing where people who weren't big basketball fans became Lorenzen Wright fans because he was just so good. And Lorenzen was like any other young athlete. He had dreams of becoming pro and making a name for himself in the NBA. Now, his mom, who always supported his dreams, was hesitant on this NBA dream. She wanted him to stay focused on college and stay focused on completing his degree instead of making his life all about basketball. But the idea of playing the game he loved so much for money was very appealing to him. Like I think it would be appealing to anyone, anyone that had that opportunity to play a fun game, to literally play a kid's game for money, they would love it. I know my husband talks about NFL players all the time, how they get to play something that they are so passionate about, and yet they're making millions of dollars. And that is something that Lorenzen would joke around with his mom. He'd tell her, Mom, where can I get paid a million dollars at a regular job when I can do it playing basketball? And I think eventually his mom came around to the idea, and of course, being a loving mother, she supported him through his dreams and just wanted the absolute best for her son. Lorenzen and his parents had an incredible relationship. He was very close with both his parents, even though they were divorced. From all that I've learned about Lorenzen, family and basketball were his life, and he loved his parents and his entire family so deeply, and that love for basketball was instilled in him at a very young age. His father, Herb, actually was a professional basketball player as well who competed in Finland and also tried out for the Utah Jazz team. Sadly, when Lorenzen was 10, his father was shot in the back, leaving him paralyzed while he was working as a director at a recreation center in Memphis. But that didn't stop him from pushing his son to be the best that he could be. It was reported that there was a lot of critics that said Herb pushed his son too hard when it came to basketball but Lorenzen disagreed. He was quoted in 1996 saying, quote, the two of us are closer than any father and son I know. He guides me on the basketball court and off it, end quote. In 1996, Lorenzen left college and entered into the NBA draft and was selected seventh overall in the 1996 draft by the Los Angeles Clippers. In total, Lorenzen would play 13 years in the NBA and would play for the Clippers, Atlanta Hawks, Memphis Grizzlies, the Sacramento Kings, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, that coach's daughter that I mentioned earlier, her name was Shara. And like I said, the relationship between Lorenzen and her became more after he went off to college. During his freshman year of college and before he entered into the NBA, Shara and Lorenzen welcomed their first child, and it was a baby boy that they named Lorenzen Wright Jr. They would go on to have six more children, and from my understanding, there was a lot of people in Lorenzen's life that felt like Shara was more so just along for the ride and knew that he was going to be a success. In her eyes, this man was going to become something big, and so it's said that a lot of people felt Shara was trying to trap him with kids to lock him down to make sure that she was going to be a part of that bright future. But from my understanding, Lorenzen wanted to have a big family, and so I'm not 100% sure on the dynamic of their relationship and their arrangement to have kids. That's just what some people speculated and talked about after his death, so take that info for what you will. On June 6, 1998, Shara and Lorenzen tied the knot, and by all accounts, the beginning of their marriage was good. In 2001, Lorenzen was traded to the Memphis Grizzlies, which was an absolute dream for him. He was at the peak of his career and was taken back to his hometown, so he was like this hometown hero walking around. One of Lorenzen's good friends stated in an interview that he was always so incredibly humble. Living in Memphis and playing there brought on a lot of fame and recognition, and Lorenzen never let it get to his head. He was always willing to sign autographs, he would stop and take pictures with fans, and never brushed anyone off who wanted to stop and talk. And being back in Memphis was a really neat thing for Lorenzen. He was able to play all three levels of basketball there, first high school to college, and now the NBA, which that's pretty awesome to do. People who played with Lorenzen said he was an incredible asset to whatever team he played for. He was this positive person to his teammates and was always in good spirits. From the pictures I've seen of him, he always had a beautiful, bright smile on his face and just looked extremely happy. On top of being this happy man that seemed like everything was going well for, he also was extremely giving. When he started making millions in his career, he purchased his mom a house that was located not far from his own home so that he could have her close by at all times. He also teamed up with several other NBA stars to help provide financial assistance to Travis Butler, who was a Memphis orphan. Travis's story is extremely sad, and I'm going to actually include a link to his story in the description of this episode so you can read up on who he was and who Lorenzen helped. Lorenzen also did so many things for his friends and other family members, which included paying for friends and family to go to college. He bought cars for people he loved, and he even bought shoes for high school teams and underwrote a youth sports league, according to a Sports Illustrated article on him. He just had this big, giving heart. He also loved to buy cars for himself and loved to shower his wife with jewelry. In his career as a pro basketball player, Lorenzen earned over $55 million. And while that is a ton of money, like an unimaginable amount of money, he spent millions of dollars on all the things he was giving to other people and All of the things he bought for himself and his wife and children. And again, Lorenzen had a big family. As I mentioned, their first son was born in 1995 that they named after him. After their first son, they had a daughter that they named Lauren. Followed by twin boys named Lamar and Shamar. Then another daughter that they named Sophia. And a son that came last named Lawson. In March of 2002, Lorenzen and Shara had one more baby, and it was a little sweet girl that they named Sierra. However, at the age of 11 months old, baby Sierra died from SIDS, which is so incredibly sad and tragic. Of course, this was hard on Lorenzen because while he was this amazing basketball star, being a father was his ultimate pride and joy. He loved his children fiercely, and so this was a huge blow for him. But one thing that I always admire about people is when they turn their tragedies into something positive, and that is exactly what Lorenzen did. He started a scholarship foundation called the Sierra Simone Wright Scholarship Fund to honor her and give back to the community further in her name. The loss of his daughter and the start of this foundation also helped inspire him to want to finish what he started with college and go back to school. In 2003, Lorenzen returned to the University of Memphis in the summer to complete his degree. Like a lot of relationships that go through something so traumatic, Lorenzen and Shara's marriage started to get a little bumpy. I can imagine that grieving a child while still trying to be a good parent to your living children can be incredibly tough. But then add in the factor of Lorenzen being this famous NBA player who has to travel frequently for games, who has to still be in the spotlight, I can imagine that's extremely hard. To top off a rough several of years, in the 2008-2009 basketball season, Lorenzen wasn't offered a contract for any teams. After 13 years in the NBA, things were starting to fizzle out. The younger kids coming into the NBA were extremely good. And to the eyes of the team owners, these young kids coming in were outshining this veteran. And shortly after his NBA career was over, Shara and Lorenzen got divorced in February 2010 when Shara filed the paperwork. I think for their marriage, the loss of their daughter was the straw that broke the camel's back. But the marriage had a lot of struggles prior to that. Both Lorenzen and Shara had been unfaithful to each other, and it was said that Lorenzen had confided in friends and family at some point that he felt like Shara had only continued to stay in the marriage for the money. During their court proceedings, Shara was granted $26,000 a month in alimony, which is so crazy. And during this time, Lorenzen also had signed for a million-dollar life insurance policy and had it wrote up that if anything happened to him, the money would go to his six remaining children. Now again, as I said during his career, Lorenzen made over $55 million, which is a lot of money, so it would seem like paying Shara that $26,000 a month would be easy given how much money he had made. But it wasn't. Because Lorenzen and Shara had spent so much money on things while they were still together, plus all of the money that was going out to the charities and the things that Lorenzen bought for other people within his life, he didn't have much money. So those monthly payments quickly became a lot for him to pay. After the divorce was finalized, Lorenzen decided to move to Atlanta, but being the family man that he was, he would make frequent trips back to Memphis to visit his family and his kids. And though the relationship between Shara and him was over on paper, things didn't fully end between them physically. On these visits back to Memphis, the two would usually end up hooking up. Friends of Lorenzen's had said that they actually had considered rekindling things and getting back together. And there isn't a lot of information about this detail out there, but this was just something that was said in interviews that I had watched from a few different people. Now, during all of this back and forth from Atlanta to Memphis and to everything else, financially, Lorenzen was getting more and more strapped for money. And it was to the point that his condo that he had purchased in Atlanta was about to go into foreclosure. Friends of Lorenzen said that this was a tough time for him because he felt kind of lost. Without basketball, he really didn't know what to do. And he had plans of playing basketball overseas to earn some money and to continue to support his kids, but that would never happen. In July 2010, Lorenzen was planning his normal Atlanta to Memphis trip to see his kids and to attend some family functions, which included a dance recital for his daughter, and his sister was having a baby shower. On July 18, 2010, Lorenzen landed in Memphis and spent the remaining part of the day hanging out with a close friend driving around town. His friend he spent the day with said that they ended their evening hanging out because Shara had called mad that Lorenzen hadn't come straight to the house. The following day, the baby shower was scheduled, and this was something everyone in his family was looking forward to having him at. This was going to be one big family gathering with a ton of family and friends. And of course, it wouldn't have been complete without Lorenzen, but he never showed up. Now, when he didn't show up, his friends and father didn't really think a ton of it. Sure, they wanted him there. This was something he had committed to going to, but Lorenzen also had times where he changed his mind on plans or didn't show up for things because he was busy doing other things. Lorenzen was kind of the person to go with the flow on things, and so they just figured he was off doing something else or seeing other people. And while his father and friends didn't think anything of his absence, his mother, Deborah, on the other hand, felt like this was off. That this was not like Lorenzen and that he would have been there at his sister's baby shower and not have just blown it off for some random willy-nilly reason. And if he wasn't able to make it, his mom was certain that he would have called and told someone why. She spent the day trying to get in touch with Lorenzen, but had no luck. Finally, on July 22nd, Deborah reported her son as missing. The police who responded began working quickly on the case and started with speaking to friends and family of Lorenzen's. When the police spoke with Shira, she told them that Lorenzen had showed up at her house on the night of July 18th with a burner phone in hand. She said he had been talking on the phone when he got there and was telling the person on the other end that he was going to flip something. According to Shara, sometime around 10.30 p.m., Lorenzen left the house with $100,000 in cash and a box of drugs. She also said that a few weeks prior to him leaving on that July 18th, that she had three random men show up to her home with guns looking for Lorenzen. When asked why she didn't report this to the police, she said that these men had threatened her and she was too scared to report it out of fear for her safety and the safety of her children. With Shara's story of him leaving and this burner phone and the conversation he allegedly had been having, plus the items she claimed he left with, the police started to wonder if maybe he had gotten mixed up in something bad. If he had been struggling financially and was also struggling mentally with life, he could have gotten mixed up in some sort of drugs or something along those lines. So they started to search for him and pumped out his information in the media in hopes that someone would say that they had seen him. This search went on for 10 days before Lorenzen would be found. On July 28, 2010, after 10 long, agonizing days for Lorenzen's friends and family, his body was found in a wooded area off of Callus Cutoff Road in Memphis, Tennessee. His body was badly decomposed due to it being July in Tennessee. Temperatures in the days after he went missing had reached the mid-to-high 90s, causing rapid decomposition. At the time that he was discovered, this nearly 7-foot-tall, 255-pound, 34-year-old man had deteriorated to just 57 pounds and was completely unrecognizable. After an autopsy was performed, it was revealed that Lorenzen had been shot five times with bullets hitting him in the chest, the head, and the right forearm. Given the state of decomposition he was in, the authorities really felt like any potential evidence that may have been left on the body was ruined by the sun and the heat. The more they started to look into this case, the more they realized that Lorenzen could have been found much sooner. They learned that a phone call had been made to 911 on July 19th, and they now believe that that call was made by Lorenzen himself. This 911 call has since been released to the public, and I will include a link in the description of this episode so you can listen for yourself. The call is very short, and honestly, you don't hear a whole lot in it, but at the beginning of the call, you hear Lorenzen say, Hey, goddamn. Then you hear a gunshot, then a pause, then a bang, 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 bang. You can hear over 10 gunshots ring out, and then complete silence from the caller. The dispatcher that answered the call was located in Germantown, Tennessee, which is just outside of Memphis and is less than 10 miles from Collierville, which happens to be where Lorenzen's family lived and also where his body was discovered. And what is utterly frustrating about this entire thing is that the dispatcher didn't report this call as coming in. According to a Fox News article, police dispatchers didn't alert patrol officers or commanders to the 911 call from Lorenzen's phone because they couldn't confirm that it came from inside their jurisdiction. Meaning that their location software wasn't registering if this call was within their jurisdiction or not. The article continues to state that the Germantown Police Department mapping system couldn't plot the location of the call that came in during the early morning hours of July 19th. But despite not being able to pinpoint where this call had come from, why the hell would this dispatcher not report it? I understand that officers have to have a location to respond to, but this clearly was a real-life incident that was happening. Shots were going off back to back to back in silence from the caller. Why wasn't anyone notified about this? Had the police been notified earlier, maybe something else could have been done, and he could have been found sooner. This 911 call wasn't reported until July 27th, and again, July 22nd is when he was initially reported as missing. After they reported this call on July 27th, they used the information from it to launch the search that ultimately found Lorenzen's body. Obviously, during that call, Lorenzen was murdered, so the outcome of that wouldn't have changed. But had they found him sooner, maybe evidence wouldn't have been lost. They did, however, find two bullet casings at the crime scene, and they were able to determine that they were shot from two different weapons, and this led authorities to believe that there had been potentially multiple people involved in this murder. With nearly nothing to go off of, the police began to really theorize that maybe the story of Lorenzen being involved in some shady stuff was true. With his financial situation the way that it was, his basketball career being over, his marriage having ended, this didn't seem like this theory was completely out of left field. Crazier things had happened to people, and people get mixed up with the wrong crowd often. The more they looked into Lorenzen, they found a connection between him and a man by the name of Bobby Cole. Bobby Cole had a connection to the Mexican cartel, and Lorenzen and Bobby had both been investigated at one point by the DEA because they found that a car that was registered to Lorenzen was being used to move drugs by Bobby Cole. The DEA eventually ruled out Lorenzen as being involved, and ultimately, what had happened was that when money started to get tight for Lorenzen, he began selling some of his expensive cars. A few of those cars had been purchased by Bobby Cole, but Bobby never registered them in his name, and he began running drugs with these cars. Again, Lorenzen was ruled out as having any knowledge or involvement in what was happening with these cars, but it did make the authorities wonder if maybe he truly was involved with the cartel. And while the police were discussing this theory with Lorenzen's family, his friends were adamant that there was no way. They felt confident that Lorenzen would have told them if he was mixed up in some bad stuff and that if he had felt people were after him, that was something he also would have confided in them about. Neighbors of Shara also came forward to state that they had seen Shara in her backyard around the time that Lorenzen went missing with an unknown man, and that the two of them had been burning stuff in a fire pit, which this stuck out as odd to the neighbors because people don't usually have fires in July when it's scorching hot outside. With this tip, the investigators were able to get a search warrant granted, and in August, they searched Shara's home. Inside the fire pit, they found nothing of importance or nothing that they released to the public, and so they were back at square one with the investigation. As time went on, it was looking more and more like the people who committed this murder got away with it. But the more time that passed, the more people started to question Shara's actions after the death of Lorenzen. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there was a million-dollar life insurance policy that was set to go to his children. But because all of his children were under the age of 18, Shara was given the right to handle the money for their kids. Lorenzen's father, Herb, noticed right off the bat that the money was being spent on things that weren't for the children. And in just 10 months of receiving that money, Shara had spent almost every single dollar of it. She spent over $11,000 on a trip to New York, $69,000 on furniture, over $7,000 for a deposit on a swimming pool. She bought and remodeled a new home, bought several cars, and that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of what she blew this money on. Shara defended her actions saying that all of the money she spent and the things she purchased was for the kids and to give them a better life. This did not sit well for Lorenzen's father, and he was absolutely furious with Shara's disgusting behavior, so he ended up suing Shara on behalf of his grandchildren. And a judge ruled in Herb's favor, and a trust was set up for Lorenzen's children that included the remaining life insurance money as well as other funds that Lorenzen had. In 2011, a reward was offered for information leading to an arrest of Lorenzen's killers, and they offered up $21,000. And the authorities were hopeful that this would finally get people talking, but they received less than 50 tips, and not a whole lot of those tips were worth the investigator's time. None of the tips that they did look into panned out to be anything, and Lorenzen's case sadly went cold. As any case does, there is always a ton of speculation by the families involved and the public. A lot of people felt that Shara's behavior after his murder was questionable, and the people who knew him the best said there was no way he got mixed up with drugs like Shara suggested. But with nothing solid, the police couldn't do anything but wait until more evidence came about. In 2015, Shara released a book that she wrote called Mr. Tell Me Anything. In this book, her character was married to an NBA star but the character was an abused wife with a husband who constantly cheated on her. Now, this book was categorized as a fiction novel, but the details within the book almost seemed to perfectly mirror Shara's. And so people started to speculate that this was actually a real-life story of the life that she had with Lorenzen. Eventually, she came out and said that the male character in the book was based on Lorenzen. Later that same year, Shara sat down with Sports Illustrated for an interview to talk about her late husband, and the interviewer was not shy about asking some tough questions that a lot of people had. He straight up asked her if she had any involvement with her husband's murder or disappearance, and Shara was completely offended by this question. But her response is what got people talking even more. To this question, Shara replied, quote, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm an author, and the police should find his killer. For my name to be even in the same sentence as something like that, I'm a minister of the Lord and I've never been in any type of trouble for anything. I just, I'm a mother, a author, and a wife, end quote. But Shara never denies her involvement, You would think that she would say something along the lines of, Oh my gosh, I absolutely had no involvement. I want the killer brought to justice or something instead of just talking about her accomplishments. Sure, she became a minister after his murder. But what does that have to do with them asking if she's involved in his murder? Of course, she became an author of a book. Cool. What does that have to do with what they asked? And lastly, the fact that she talks about being a wife, Shara did remarry. But again, why are we talking about that when the question was purely about your ex-husband's murder? It was just such an odd and weird answer for her to give, and it didn't sit right with anyone. But again, with no evidence, there was nothing anyone could do. A few more years would go by before the police finally got the huge in that they needed so badly for this case. On November 9th, 2017, an FBI dive team located a gun used in Lorenzen's murder in a Mississippi lake. And they were tipped off to this location of this gun from a man named Jimmy Martin. Jimmy Martin had been arrested for murdering his own girlfriend, and he eventually told police about what happened with Lorenzen's murder. Jimmy Martin knew all of the details on Lorenzen's murder because he was Shara's cousin. He admitted to authorities that he wasn't there when he was shot, but he knew who was responsible. Jimmy said that not only was his cousin Shara involved in Lorenzen's murder, but there was also a man by the name of Billy Ray Turner. Now, Jimmy wasn't present at the time of the murder, but Shara did take him to the crime scene, and he participated in helping clean up the area. Jimmy also went on to say that he was with Billy when he threw the gun into the lake, and then he dropped one more bombshell on the police. Jimmy admitted that this was not Shara's first attempt at killing her husband, and on the first attempt, Billy and Jimmy had planned to do it together. But they were unsuccessful for whatever reason. And I'm sure you're wondering who exactly is this Billy Ray Turner guy. It turns out that he was a landscaper around Shara's home, and there are rumors that the two of them had gotten romantically involved with each other, and that's how he got roped into this. When police came to Shara to let her know that the murder weapon had been found, she showed absolutely no sign of emotion. She was pretty stone-faced, and you'd think an innocent woman would be relieved that this was found so that maybe the murder could be solved, and that she could get justice for her children who lost their father in such a tragic way. But if she showed anything, it wasn't relief or happiness. It appeared to be worry written all over her face. On December 5th, Billy was finally arrested and 10 days later, Shara was arrested too. Everyone was completely frustrated that Shara was offered a plea deal, which she accepted. She pled guilty to the facilitation of first-degree murder on July 25th, 2019, Because she took this plea deal, the opportunity of her having a life sentence was completely squashed, and instead she was sentenced to 30 years in prison. She was given time served for the two years she had been in custody by the time the court proceedings took place, and would be eligible for parole in seven to eight years. A lot of people are upset that Shara has the possibility to be released with very little time served. This woman helped facilitate and plan the murder of her ex-husband for insurance money. Lorenzen lost his life, and he doesn't get to have that second chance. He has missed and will continue to miss huge milestones for his children. Yet here she is with this opportunity of freedom way earlier than she deserves. Personally, I hope she stays behind bars for a long, long time. She deserves nothing more than to be miserable, locked up for her entire sentence. Billy Ray Turner, on the other hand, did not take a plea deal, and he pled not guilty to charges of first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, and attempted first-degree murder. His trial was supposed to happen in 2021, but due to the whole COVID pandemic, we all know so many court cases were delayed for that reason. So his trial finally began in March of 2022. During his trial, the star witness for the prosecution was Jimmy Martin and his testimony. And Jimmy was awarded immunity on Lorenzen's case for his testimony, but he still was found guilty of his girlfriend's murder. Jimmy told the jury that Shara called him in 2010 and told him that she wanted to kill her ex-husband. Jimmy tried to tell her that that wasn't the business that she wanted to get into, but went over to her house anyway. While there, that was when Shara and Billy started to plan their attack, and Jimmy just sat back listening. While on the stand, he told a lot more than just this to further prove that both Billy and Shara were guilty. If you want to watch the trial on YouTube, it's all on there and you can hear Jimmy's testimony, which was a huge win for the prosecution. It did come out, though, that Shara lured Lorenzen to this area where they went, telling him that they had to meet up with someone to get some money. Once Lorenzen figured it out pretty quickly that this was a setup, he tried to run away. He had ran and jumped over a barbed wire fence before tripping and falling. That is when Billy and Shara had caught up to Lorenzen, and both Shara and Billy began firing at him. His testimony is lengthy, and there's several other details that he revealed during the trial, including how he helped them clean up the area where this took place, to him going with Billy to dispose of the gun. The jury deliberated for only three hours before they came back with a guilty verdict on all three charges. Billy was sentenced to life in prison. Now, in May 2022, Shara was actually given a parole hearing due to her so-called, quote, safety value date which apparently is the earliest possible release date for some inmates. And due to prison overcrowding, Shara was actually one of those inmates that had been considered for early release. At her parole hearing, Shara told the parole board that based on her behavior and her performance in some of the classes that she had been taking, she believes she's a strong candidate for early release. She also told the board that she had an incredible support system on the outside, and two children actually spoke on her behalf asking for her release. And Lorenzen's family was also given the opportunity to voice their thoughts, and they obviously voted against her early release. The parole board sided with Lorenzen's family and denied her parole, but she will be eligible to go up to the parole board again in May of 2027. Lorenzen's mother was so relieved to know that her parole was denied. But I feel for them because every time she goes up for parole, they have to go through that emotional roller coaster of feelings that come with that. For now, I'm glad that she was caught. I'm glad that both killers are behind bars, even if it took a while for it to happen. But I do hope that something came out of this. The fact that the 911 dispatcher didn't report this at all is very frustrating, and I hope they used this as a learning opportunity for future situations that happen like this. My heart goes out to Lorenzen's family. His children deserve to have him around, and now they have to grow up essentially with zero parents because of their mother's actions." You guys, if you're not already a part of my private Facebook group, you can find it by searching Crime with Holly Podcast Discussion Group. In there, I share all information and pictures pertaining to the cases that I cover, and I also encourage all of the members to share all things true crime. You can also follow me over on Instagram at Crimeaholly, and if you'd like more true crime content, you can follow me on TikTok at Crimewithholly.podcast. Crimesters, that is all that I have for this week's case. Until next time, be aware and take care. Bye-bye.